Welcome to the Off The Record Podcast, where we interview the various movers and shakers in the dance music industry. I am Zarina Barani, aka CZ Boogie, your host. For this installment, I'm super excited to be interviewing a man close to my heart. Nate Mannix's contributions to the Midwest dance scene have been plentiful. From production work, to his own label Bad Advice Inc., to DJing all over the city and beyond. But Nate is probably most known for his tenure as Smart Bar's music director and talent buyer from 2009 through 2013. During one of Nate's visits to Chicago, he invites me over to his hotel on a warm Sunday night where we have a long and heartfelt talk about his life then and now. All right, guys. We are here in the hotel room of Mr. Nate Manick, or Nate Cider. Either will do, yes. All right. (laughs) So you are here in town for the weekend. Yes. Right? And you were playing a whole bunch of gigs. Yes. Right? So um, (laughs) actually, you know, we didn't really talk about this in your so much in your bio, but tell me about your residency with Freakeasy. How long have you been with them? Um, Well, I started playing with them in the beginning of 2009, I would say. Their first event was, I think, uh, no, November of 2008. And I think I missed like the first one or two. But then after that, I, um, yeah, I just kind of started playing for them regularly. And it was super fun. After, um, you know, I started working my nightclub job, I would, you know, stop there and hightail it over there for the 5, 6 a.m. slot. And, you know, then it was all she wrote from there. So So that was the same time that you pretty much got the job at Smart Bar. Just about. Freak Easy started about almost exactly one year before I got the job at Smart Bar. So um, my, I think I got the job there in October of 2009 is when I started. Mm-hmm. So about 10 or 11 months after Freak Easy started. Yeah, we just, uh, I interviewed Matt about a year ago. Oh, you did? I uh, love him. He's I crazy. Him. Yeah. Hey, Matt. Hi, Matt. What's up? <laughs> okay, so let's see. Let me first, everybody, tell you about my meeting with Mr. Nate. Okay, so as Five Magazine, we already had a relationship, you know, with Smart Bar, and I was dealing with James Amato, who was your predecessor. Yes. Correct. And I remember, you know, every time there's like a a change, it's like, oh, who's going to be the new guy? Who's going to be the new guy? (laughs) And so they told me your name, and, you know, I didn't know who you were, and I was hell-bent on finding you. So I remember one night at the club... I was like, where is Nate? Who is Nate? Can we meet him? And I was worried. You know, I was like, who the, who the new? Yeah. Who is the new one? And so they, they said, oh, he's at the bar. And I remember seeing this tall, handsome, bald guy in a suit by the bar, by the front bar at Smart Bar. I remember. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Do you remember wearing the suit? Like, I think. Yeah, no, I did. That was probably when I was still doing weddings. I had, I had been oh. working as a wedding DJ um, for the Style Matters DJ Collective full uh-huh. time. And then when I got the job at Smart Bar, I couldn't, I had like three months of weddings that I had to complete, like while I was still working there before I could get to the club. So basically what would happen is I, um, you know, would do the club stuff and then, you know, on a Saturday I'd have to do this at the beginning and then get over to the club right away. And yeah, and I just show up in my suit and like hang out. I thought you were wearing it because that was your, (laughs) that you wanted to make an impression. I mean, we all want to look as good as Lenny, but I mean, we can't. So, you know, he's always dressing dapper, you know. Yeah, I thought you were dressed because you were like, I'm the new guy, I want to make an impression. But one thing I do remember, guys, that you were smiling. You were, he has the cutest, most infectious smile, guys. And, And I remember going up to you, you didn't know who I was. 
and you were very nice to me. I kind of like said Five Magazine, but it was really loud. But you were incredibly kind. I remember you were very warm Thank and you. welcoming, and I was like, I like him. <laughs> oh, stop. No, it's really. Thank no, you. no, yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. You were very nice, and like, well, you are very nice. And so, um, let's see. So, you know, we talked about you were in Madison. That's where you're from, and you were doing a bunch of shows there. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a, I'm a Wisconsin boy. I grew up south of Green Bay by about 35 miles in a little town called Chilton. Mm-hmm. And I got my DJ start in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, at the Cardinal Dance Club. My first uh, event, actually, that I ever DJed was my 22nd birthday party at the Cardinal Bar. It was me and Woody McBride. Oh, Woody McBride. And yup. Oh yeah, I love him. Hi, Woody. And um, I had only been DJing for about three or four months at that point. I think I bought my first pair of turntables in January, and this was in May. And so from then on, I started doing a lot of events at the Cardinal and a couple of other places around town. I was only in Madison for about six years, and then I moved to Chicago in 2000. Oh. So, um, so yeah. So I've been in Chicago much longer than I was in Madison. Um, it was a, you know, it was a big part of my life. Um, you know, I think Madison had um, just a great rave scene back in the mm-hmm. day, like the early 90s, mid-90s in the Midwest were just ridiculous. Um, you know, you would go to the map point and end up driving, you know, 40 miles to some barn in the middle of nowhere. Oh my gosh, just like the, the map point. Party. Yes. Call this number. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And then, so then you, then you were in Chicago. So, to, and then you have a label called Bad Advice. I did not know that. Yes. Um, so I had a uh, fun fact. It was a label called Bad, uh, Bad Advice Incorporated. Uh, which was kind of an offshoot of a Burning Man camp that we had had back in the day called the Bad Advice Bears. and That uh, is adorable. So we decided to, you know, kind of, kind of, you know, just expand a little bit. And, um, you know, I probably got about nine or ten releases in or mm-hmm. so uh, when I got the call from Smart Bar. And um, actually one of, you know, fun fact, uh, one of the agreements that I made when I got the job was that I would put the record label on hold uh, because, oh. um, you know, uh, when you are a talent buyer for a club, that is, you know, your job. Um, and sometimes having um, ulterior motives or other things going on in your life can be detrimental to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I had made an agreement with Joe that uh, while I was Smart Bar Music Director, that I would just be the Smart Bar Music Director. That is really interesting. Okay, so tell me first of all, well, so you got the job in 2009. Yes. How did you, well, first of all, how did they pick you? How did you get the job? How long were you in his radar? Mm-hmm. How many contestants, not contestants, yeah. <laughs> is that a beauty? Or, like how many candidates were there? Was there a long process? You know, there was. So um, I actually was up for the job originally in 2006. Okay. And um, that was when Brad Owen was still running the club. Okay. And um, I was doing stuff at Moonshine on Division Street. I was like kind of like a little music director helping them put together all their DJs. And I was doing like Thursday nights and Sundays and stuff. And uh, I had been recommended to interview then for the job. Okay. And I didn't know anything else about, um, you know, who was interviewing or, you know, what was going on. It was a pretty decent um, interview process. But um, James Amato got the job. Uh, and so I also um, from Wisconsin. Yes, also from Wisconsin. Milwaukee Isn't Brad guy. from Wisconsin too? Yes, we're so all Wisconsin. If you want to be talent buyer, <laughs> you need to grow part. up in Sheboygan or Milwaukee. That's about <laughs> it. Like that's very interesting. Okay, yep. so go ahead. Um, so I um, so then uh, from 2006 to 2009, I just kind of did my own thing. I did a lot of underground um, events and um, you know just played all over the place. And mm-hmm. then uh, in 2009. 
I was at Burning Man and I ran into James. Um, he was out there. He was a burner as well. And we were talking. I was like, how's it going? How you doing? And everything. And he was like, oh, it's good. You know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm moving to LA. I'm, I'm quitting the club. Um, and, you know, my eyes kind of lit up a little all bit. Right. Um, and, and when I got back to the hotel after the festival, I had like all these emails in my <laughs> inbox from people from Smart Bar trying to get a hold of me uh, to come in and interview again for the job because um, they'd been trying to get a hold of me and I was, you know, that's off, off the face of the earth. Right. Um, and so they, um, you know, they had me come in and, you know, I basically walked in there fresh off the playa in like linen pants and a big tan <laughs> and smile and everything. And, um, and it was great. The interview process was, um, you know, it was, it was long, you know, it took a couple of weeks and I think that they really wanted to make sure that they were making the right decision and a couple um, of weeks. What do you mean? So like, Hey, come back and come back. Yeah. There were, there were a couple of interviews, you know, I think that they wanted to make sure that they had, um, you know, for, for a lot of jobs that are, you know, kind of important like that. I think they wanted to make sure that, oh yeah that, you know, you could get along with the staff and that you could work well with others and that your ideas were, you know, in line with what, the vision for the club is and all that other stuff. So, so who's um, in the interview table? I thought it was just it would be just you and Joe Shanahan. Was it like a flash dance scenario? <laughs> no, it actually wasn't that. It wasn't really that bad. It was, um, you know, I think the first, the first. Let me think about that. Actually, I mainly met with Joe, mm -hmm. um, and then kind of a little bit further down the line, they brought, um, you know, the other talent buyer, Chris Baroner from Metro in to sit and have a chat and just kind of, you know, make sure that I would kind of fit in, I guess. Okay. Um, and, um, would they ask you questions like, how would you make this lineup for this weekend? You know, like, Oh yeah, totally. You... Yeah. Just wow. kind of shot the shit about like the scene and to get to know your thoughts on it. And yeah, the first initial interviews are kind of just, you know, you get together and shoot the shit and talk about your ideas and, um, you know, just kind of get to know a person as a person and, and the lineups, um, and then you know, yeah, and kind of talk about lineups and your your views and your visions, and um, you know, kind of what you want to do. I think that one of the one of the questions they asked uh, once was, you know, if you were to have a dream lineup at Metro Smart Bar, like an all building event, what would you do? You know, just you know, fun little questions like that, just to kind of get to know you as a person. So, um, yeah, it was a really you know, for me, it was a very daunting uh, and intense uh, interview process because um, you know it's Smart Bar, you know, and that. But well, they asked can, you back the second time, and there were multiple emails, so it's almost like that you were like, I got this. Kind of. But I think the first time around that my confidence was my downfall, because I, I, I kind of went in um, to the interview in 2006 thinking, um, oh, I got this. You know, and... Really? <laughs> and I did not. Uh, but, you know, that's okay. You know, um, I came back the second time, and it was um, just a really, you know, wonderful little time, and, you know, I think I had a lot more confidence about me at that time, and... Um, yeah, it was just really, it was really interesting, you know. So I was on pins and needles for three weeks. So after three weeks, you got, what, like an email, like a, a stripper oh, no. at I your door? I... <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Candy Graham. Um, no, I basically just kept pestering Joe until he hired me. Oh, stop Honestly, it. I literally was just like, hey, like. Checking in. I'm just checking in. Is there anything <laughs> else I can do to help in your decision? How's it going? No way. That's, and, you know, this um... is really interesting to hear because <laughs> you would almost think that's, that's what you don't do. You know, honestly, I think, um. Or do you think that showed like you really wanted the job? I think it's probably, um, you know, I can't say for sure, but I think it's probably one of the things that ended up getting me the job. 
um, okay. was kind of a stick and a persistence and, um, you know, showing people that you really want the job. I'm goes, thinking of, you know, I'm, you know what, I'm, I'm thinking of Chorus Line, that song, I really need this job. <laughs> I don't know why that was, that vision just came up in my yes. head. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, and then, so finally was he like, okay, it's yours. Yeah, basically. He was called me up. He was like, okay, what do you want it to say on your cards? I was like, <laughs> <laughs> happiest man in the world. Like, thank you. You know, so. That's great. Yeah. And then what did you do that night? What did you do to celebrate? I probably got drunk. <laughs> I don't know. At, at Smart Bar? I called, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I think I just called. I, I remember making a bunch of phone calls. Right. Um, and you Going know, to Smart Bar and being like, I'm um, your boss's yes, bitches. Yes, exactly. Ha, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, just calling my friends and, you know, some of the other good friends of mine who, you know, knew, you know, what Smart Bar was and the significance of, you know, getting getting a job there, um, or getting that job there, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a really, really very happy time for sure. Um, and, and the last time that you ever got a sincere friend request from someone, oh my God. <laughs> it was like, you knew, I mean, I'm sure like while you were celebrating, it was like, uh Oh, you know what this it's means. About right? to go, yeah, exactly. It's about to go yeah. down. Know what I'm in for, but yeah. Um, yeah, but it was great. You know, that's a part of the job. It's well, a part so of life. tell me, um, when you did get hired, like formally, what were the responsibilities that go with being a talent buyer, and what could you not and do and not do? Like you said, you had to give up your label. Um, yeah, you know, um, <clears throat> it's 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 funny because for every, you know, for every talent buyer that comes into that place that that gets hired there, there their responsibilities and their opportunities are all very unique to the time period and what's going on in the scene and what's going on in the club and what's going on with the residencies and what's going on with, you know, what, what the former, you know, what your predecessor mm -hmm. uh, was doing at the club. Um, you know, so there's always that opportunity to kind of build, you know, my, my responsibilities and opportunities were very different than James's, which are very different than Brad's, which are very different than Jason's and Maria's. Um, so I think that, you know, from, from that standpoint, uh, once I got the job, the first couple weeks had to do a lot with just figuring out what the fuck I was doing, you know, really? and like, it's and not just, cut and dried. It's not like, okay, you have to pick the talent. You have to, there's no, you set. know, it is, it is, it is relatively, you know, there's a system, you know, mm -hmm. um, there's a certain way that you go about, you know, submitting, um, offers to agents and things like that. And, um, you know, as far as kind of the meat and bones and the day to day, there's definitely a, a routine, you know, I think as there is with any job. Um, did you have to shadow James for a while or were they like, okay, watch what he does or you already knew it because no, you had done it? No, I did not shadow James actually. Um, there, um, I got the job and I actually, um, he gave me a couple of weeks to just kind of hang out and prepare. Uh, and then I, and then, um, and then, yeah, I just kind of came in and did it. I didn't really get a lot of I, I didn't get any training from James. Actually, mm -hmm. I didn't get any training from anybody. Because <laughs> um, that's a lot. Like you, like you, like walk in the office and then what is it like? Okay, submit the lineups for this. Hi, the I'm next here. Here we go. Months. Yeah. Well, and that's you a know. nice thing too. Is you know, um, you know, if you're if you're booking these shows, I think a lot of people tend to you know try to book them out as far as they can so that you can you know worry about the rest of. The so nonsense. you had some time. Like yeah. there was already a schedule. You know. Yeah, basically, you know. So I think that, um, you know, I, 
I got the job in October, they already had the place booked up through the end of the year. So really it was just a matter of learning my routine and figuring out the best way to promote things and, you know, um, figuring out just the logistics and the best way to do things my way. Um, you know, and I think that that was a, a very important thing um, when I started there was that I was able to get a sense that I could do things my way and have um, some autonomy within that job to really give it the direction and the vision that I personally had. Um, and so, so yeah, as far as the day-to-day -day goes, yeah, there are tasks, there are things um, that yeah, you so have to do. Yeah, so walk me through like a, like a, a day. Like, would you like, like show up at certain hours and then, you know? Yep. Yeah. Um, so at that time, um, you know, there it's, it's an office job, you know, like you're in the office 10 to six Monday through Friday mm -hmm. and then, um, you know, you're in the club on the weekend. So, uh, yeah, I would, I would get there, um, at, you know, 10 or, you know, maybe you know, <laughs> a little after yeah, in the ish. morning ish. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, you know, check the flurry of emails that were on my inbox. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, a lot of times we kind of worked from home, uh, as well, you know, like you can't really escape, you know, you try to escape the office, but you know, you still kind of answer emails. I mean, you're constantly and, working. It's nothing like, you know, you're, yeah, you're checking your emails on your phone. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so yeah. So, um, I, I would basically, you know, come in in the morning and, um, check the emails and just kind of follow up on offers and things like that. You know, it was just a lot of administrative work, um, you know, figuring out uh, how we're going to promote shows, how we're going to um, do lineups and, and build the week out and um, stuff like that. So, okay. so yeah, um, you know, it was basically just kind of booking the lineups, um, you know, trying to figure out uh, promo and, uh, approving flyer designs and things like that. And then, um, you know, kind of advancing shows, making sure that you had everything ready for the weekend, making sure that you have all the deposits sent out, making sure that, um, all the contracts are reviewed and that, you know, there's nothing fishy in there, you know, before it goes to the big man's desk to sign. Um, did you get to bring in, um, anybody did you, or you already had a team that was given to you when <laughs> you came on? <laughs> no. Um, no, I did not. Um, I had a, uh, I had an assistant. Okay. Um, I had an assistant there. Ori was the assistant. Um, Orikawa. Yeah, I love Ori. Totally. Yeah, what's up, Ori? <laughs> um, and so he was there for about three months, uh, and then he resigned. Um, he had uh, just other things that he moved on to. Mm -hmm. And so, actually, for those first three months after he quit, I was basically doing everything on my own because they were like, "Okay, you are going to learn how to do all of it, and you need to know how to do all of it so you can train your." next assistant and figure out like what they need to do. Um, at that time, the talent buyer did everything. I went on every airport run. I was going on flyer runs. Uh, I booked every show. I coordinated all the promotion. I handled the tech riders. Um, I um, literally did everything. Like literally. I remember at that time you were I was always seeing you, like, you were very hands-on. Like, I would see you, like, because I was going to Smart Bar almost every weekend, and you were always there. Like, you like you were always there. And I know sometimes you'd be tired because you're like, yeah, I have to pick up this artist. You take them out to dinner. You drop them off. I mean, I don't remember, like, seeing anybody as hands-on as you were. Yeah. I mean, was that something that, at the time, that was the job, or you just ha wanted to do it? It was, a little, it was a little bit of both. You know, mm -hmm. I think that in, especially let's say between, you know, the late 90s and the early 2000s. And I think especially when, when Brad came in, he really 
um, I think that that was a very pivotal point for the club and for the dance scene in which, you know, Smart Bar, at least as far as I had understood it, mm -hmm. um, really put a lot of focus on local DJs. They were really wonderful local residents. Um, it was very Chicago. Mm -hmm. And um, then DJs started blowing up and there was this huge demand to bring DJs in from other cities and from other countries and stuff like that. And so I think that the way that events were promoted, the way that they were structured, um, the way the, the entertainment lineups and everything were structured mm -hmm. changed a lot in those years. It went from being um, kind of, you know, a local dance bar where you had great residents to being this kind of world-class institution where you had all of the best international DJs coming into play mm -hmm. and all these up and coming people and, you know, the best people in Chicago had to offer and, you know, London mm -hmm. and everything, you know, I remember seeing Ame there for the first time and, um, you know, all these DJs that you had never heard of, mm -hmm. but the first time you heard about them, they were playing smart bar. Yeah. Did you, you know? do that? Cause, okay. I remember it was like a lot of big local DJs, right? Like, for example, like the, the Heathers and Colettes yes. were there, Justin Longs. And then would you say that you were responsible for starting to bring in more overseas talent? I think I think I definitely kept that up. Yeah, I did. I did. You know, I was working with a lot of agencies. I kind of feel like Chicago was in a weird place back then. You know, in 2008, 2009, we were just coming off the Bush years. We were in a war. The scene was kind of weird. Mm -hmm. I kind of felt that a lot of the the greats that were putting out music from Chicago, I don't know, I kind of feel like labels just stopped putting music out hmm. uh, for the most part. I think when, when the vinyl industry collapsed in 2006, 2005, 2006, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people just kind of shifted. And so at that time, I think that my my job and responsibilities had more to do with showcasing, you know, just electronic talent or talent within the world of electronic music. When you had to pick your lineups, um, for example, A, how are you staying informed? Because I'm sure your inbox is just like mine in terms of <laughs> you're getting every agency, like, get our artists, get our artists, right? Yep, so yeah. you had that, but how did you stay informed? Like, what, what were you reading? And then secondly, yeah, what was your mindset? You were like, okay, this is the direction I want. So yeah, you know, as far as, you know, discovering artists and picking lineups, you know, it's... Um, you know, there is so much. Like you said, you know, every agent is trying to get their artist in there. Um, you know, you have to be very well-rounded. I think that that was one of the things that I really tried to do was to be very well-rounded and diverse in my lineups. Um, but, you know, you can't – it's it's impossible to know everything about every artist. It's impossible to, you know, really know so much that, you know, you, you – at least to do a very well-rounded job of booking everything – so, you know, there were publications, um, you know, you're reading magazines, articles, things like that, checking out podcasts. Um, you know, a lot of the um, artists, you know, it would be a little easier because they were already on their, your radar. They were somebody who was, you know, either a resident for a great club or putting out some great music. You know, they're kind of on the up and up. And, um, you know, that's kind of a lot how we did. You know, I would, I would um, talk with other people. I would ask people's opinions, um, you know, say, oh, yeah, you know, like, what do you think of this artist? What do you think of this? You know, there's definitely a lot of open communication, I think, um, especially, you know, in the office up there about, you know, who's, I, I don't want to say worth booking, but who mm -hmm. should be playing there and whose sound is really um, conducive and, you know, that works works well with 
the club. Yeah, did you bring in, um, so Terry, my, my business partner, <laughs> had kind of mentioned he talked to Kate Simcoe a lot. He liked to interview her. Were you the one who brought her in? Yes. Because yeah. she talked, I mean, I think like, some of like bookings like Kate Simcoe really elevated the club. Yeah. So like this international, more international awareness of you guys, right? Sure. Yeah. You know, we, and that was a big part of it too. You know, I really tried to do a lot of work to um, kind of align ourselves with, you know, the talent that we wanted to be showcasing. The Bergheim connection was a really big one, you know, bringing in, you know, Marcel Detman and Steffi and um, Ben and, you know, prosumer and all these other people to, um, you know, show Chicago and the Midwest and the world that we were interested in making connections with, um, you know, other world-renowned, world-class clubs and, and record labels and DJs and producers and things like that. So, you know, for me, my attitude was, well, you know, who, who is really doing work today? You know, who is doing work to further themselves as an artist and as a DJ, as a producer, things like that. And, you know, Kate was one of those people at that time who was just putting in the work, you know, she was, you know, putting out great music. She was, you know, really DJing a lot. And, you know, she really had a, a great little take on it as well. Um, just, you know, from kind of a more musical, I, I would almost say symphonic kind of standpoint, with, especially with what she's doing now with like the, mm -hmm. the London Electronic Orchestra and all that stuff. And, you know, I mean, just going like as a side note, you know, every time there's new management, every time there's new management that happens, it comes with your vision and people, I mean, your life probably changed, not just in terms of no more sleeping, <laughs> but you have to def constantly defend your choices. I understand running a publication why don't you pick me why don't you pick me and you have all these people like just you know then you start questioning okay who are really my friends who are just trying to kiss my ass uh-huh well to me you always i had a direct line to you because because of the magazine but i mean did you have like a lot of people just hitting you up and you just couldn't like hey can you book me tell me about that side of things you know um yeah you know everybody always asked that i think that was probably one of the biggest questions that i would get asked is how do you get booked at smart bar like how do you get that dj slot you know as far as the headliners go and actually honestly the same answer applies for openers and headliners just do your shit you know like put out records put out great music you know dj you know like for us, and I think for talent buyers, really, it's it's a delicate balance of artists that are really like pushing an artistic envelope and 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 bringing really new, fresh, exciting music to the masses, mm -hmm. and artists that are going to get people in the door. Um, it's a business. You and know? it's also politics. I mean, you know what? I've come to accept. People always say, oh, you know, and not about you, just about anything. Like, oh, so-and-so's friends are always in there. But of course they are because it's it's relationships. It is. You know? But um, in some way, not is, all the but, time. But on the other side, on the other side of the coin, fuck politics. I tried not to be political in my bookings there. Talk um, about it. Talk a about lot it. of people, you know... Um, I, I really tried to, um, you know, not just book my friends. Mm -hmm. um, I so really... did you lose some friendships that way because you didn't just book your friends? Really? They weren't like, Nate, what about me? Come on. No. You know? I think really? they got it. I think they got it. I tried to I tried to book as many people as I could. You know, I tried not to just keep it, you know, very narrow or anything. I wanted to give everybody a fair shot and an equal shot um, as long as I thought that they, you know had been putting in work and, you know, kind yeah. of should be playing there. You know, I was, I was at lunch uh, with somebody once and they said, uh, well, Nate, you were the people's talent buyer. 
And I guess had I thought of it at the time, I would have looked at them and said, well, it's the people's club. You know, um, yeah. Smart Bar is here for everyone. And everyone should be able to have a shot at playing at their favorite club mm-hmm. if they are sincere about what they're doing. And if they are interested and if they're, you know, talented and if they have what it, what that takes. You would know? you answer? I mean, you could. Could you answer every email that was sent to you? I mean, or would you sometimes? I tried to. I did. I think as far as openers go, it had a lot more to do with me reaching out to them. Um, You know, people would definitely get a hold of me, especially if it'd been a while and I hadn't booked them or if I had, you know, there were a couple of DJs that, you know, would reach out or one or two over the years that were a little frustrated that, you know, maybe I hadn't booked them. And in most cases, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I haven't booked you. I'm so sorry. Like, let's get you in here, you know? Hold on, I got an eight story. Oh God. It's good, it's good. And I mean, I'm not just kissing your ass. I mean, I mean, I am. I mean, I just love you because like every time like your name is mentioned, people have a smile, like people like you. Like, you know, you're just a very nice person. Like you said, even if you couldn't book your friends. Okay, so there were like these Wednesday nights because you did like the overseas, like the, like the hot big talent and then you also did the local thing on Wednesdays. Remember yes. that? Yeah. So, and we would even use the front of the bar, like I think, right? Yep. Sometimes. Yeah. So there were Wednesday parties and Five Magazine had a Wednesday party, I remember. And like there were different promoters every Wednesday. But, you know, Five had a regular thing. And I remember you wanted to try something. Remember, I always tell this story. You wanted to seize like the Wednesday different promoters and give it a shot to one artist that you felt like was really making waves. Do you remember? Yep, and Ralph. I remember you sent me an email, uh, which I'm sure you sent to every promoter of that Wednesday, saying that, you know, you had to stop the Wednesdays and you wanted to bring in this new guy. And it was the sweetest email I ever got. It was just so <laughs> sincere. He was like, you know, I appreciate you. You know, I just want to, you know, try something different. And I like, I was like, I wanted to hug you. I was like, of course. <laughs> I remember that. And, and, you know, you gave it a shot. And I remember, it. you know, it went good. And then like maybe a year or two later... You wanted to try the different promoter thing. Yeah. And the email you sent was the cutest email. You were like, baby, will you come back? Do you remember that? <laughs> yes. Oh, my God, I do. I was like, I love I you, I totally Nate. remember that now. Yeah. yeah, but it's just, it's something about the way you speak to people. You know, you don't have to be a jerk just because you're in a position of power. Yeah. You were always approachable. You know, there was never this feeling like I'm better than you. Like, you can't talk to me. Yeah. I'm here now. And that's what I think, that's why I think people really, like, gravitated towards you. Right. I mean, I'm sure I'm not the first person who said that. You can put all modesty aside, Nate. I'm letting you do this. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Thank you. It is off the record after all. Um, But no, I mean, I think, well, you have to be, you know, you have to be, um, you have to be benevolent. Um, You know, you have to be tactful. Um, You have to be honest. You have to be upfront with people because it will bite you in the ass if you aren't. It always does. It doesn't matter if you're a talent buyer or a construction worker, you mm-hmm. know, like, got to, you know, you got to just do your job. Yeah. With as many people that you have to work with there. Yeah. You do have to be very communicative and, you know, you have to do your best to be polite. Um, that did not always happen with me. I screamed at people sometimes. Really? I, oh yeah. Oh God. Michael Serafini again. I'm sorry. How <laughs> can you um, tell us that story? Oh no. It was, it was, it was, um, I mean, you know, I mean, at some point, like the pressure cooker is going to pop, yeah, right? Yeah, no, it was, it was towards the end. Of, I wasn't even, I, it was towards the end of my tenure there and I was under a lot of stress. I was Aww. very under a lot of emotional and mental pressure and I wasn't taking care of myself and I was lashing out at people, I think a little bit. Um, you know, it's rigorous, you know? That you, happens. You, know, you don't sleep for four years. It gets to you, you know? <laughs> like, what the fuck? Um, I think so, you definitely did, you went way above and beyond 
your Call of Duty. Yeah. It's safe to say that, right? Sure. Okay, so before I we try. get... Yeah, no, <laughs> But then, but I then mean, again, it, you know, it's like I didn't really know what my Call of Duty was. Like, that was the job as I saw it. You know, like, for me, that was the only way to do the job. Like, what's the, what do you think was... What are you most proud of? Like, when you look back at your time at Smart Bar, I know you did a lot of things. and there's, But, like, can you say, oh, you know, I think, you know, I, I did that. Or, like, just name me a couple of things, like, you're most proud of. Um... Honestly, I'm proudest of queerifying the spot mm -hmm. of like bringing the gay community um, in a lot more and giving um, opportunities to the gay community. I am immensely proud of Queen, obviously. Um, you know that. Let's talk about that for a second because there was a Sunday party that was struggling. It was like a disco party. First, Dollar disco. Right? Dollar disco. Yeah. I remember, and I remember a long time ago, Lenny saying to me, "Like, I think he's like, we really want to make it a gay night at Smart Bar." And at the time, which was. It's so funny when you look at it now, right? But I remember I was like, oh, that's crazy. I'm like, I don't know if you're going to make that work because Smart Bar was so associated with hetero kind of, yes. right? Yes. And yep. it just shifted. That was amazing. And, you know. It took a lot of work. Um, you know, when I got there, there were um, a number of gay friends of mine who said, oh, we've just, we've never been to Smart Bar. We don't go there. It's a straight club. It's. Um, Despite you know, its location right near Boys Exactly, Town, yeah. Right? And there were, you know, there were people that were like, you know, we, you know, who have felt, had felt at times that it was just not really friendly to the gay community. Um, mm -hmm. You know, as far as I knew, there was like one resident faggot patron that was there like every weekend. John Seepak, how you doing? What's oh up, Oh my God, John! Yep, every, every Friday and Saturday she was there. I love her. Um, and... And, um, and it's like, that was it, <laughs> you know, it's like, it like John at the bar and me, you know? And so, you know, even, even with queen, that's not something that we could have done right away. Like I couldn't have just come in there in 2009 and been like, okay, let's gay it up. You know, um, it took, it took a while, um, yeah. of, of, you know, of just work. And, and, and also, um, I think it took a while for, people to be comfortable or to know or to have a gay talent buyer there. Um, I think that... Well, you didn't push it down people's throats. That's no, not one at thing, all. Not at which all. Which I really appreciated because I mean, you were just you. Were just you. I'm just Nate, yeah. Yeah, I'm just you know, Nate. I'm just Nate. I just Laying just... in my robe. Yes. <laughs> He's in a robe. He is... I, I wish you could see this picture. We're luxuriating. He's luxuriating, yes. <laughs> so continue. Um, but... Um, was yeah. Queen like a big... Uh, I mean, I don't. I Queen was my, always my favorite party. But when it started, was it ever slow? Yes. Really? Oh yeah. Um, so you know, the first the first night was bonkers. The first night was great. Um, I didn't I didn't show up the first night. Admittedly, actually, I I just I I no showed because I was exhausted. Um, I was like, I can't do this. I have to go to bed. Um, but it was great. It was amazing. Um, but it was you know it was tough for the first year or two. You know, I'd say. Um, you know, I would, I mean, we started that night in probably May of, let's see, May of 2012. And, um, you know, I can't say that it really got popping until after I left. Um, you know, I, I stopped working there in August, September of 2013. Um, and it was a lot of work at first, you know, we, we had to put in the work and, um, it was, it was a big balancing act between, um, you know, the management and the hosts and the DJs all working together and, you know, everybody was putting in all this effort and, um, you know, there were good nights, there were bad nights, it was kind of hit or miss, it was, 
um, you know, it certainly wasn't as consistent as it is now. But you had the dream team. You had we had the dream you had team. the dream team there, and I mean, I mean, you know, Derek, Shay, obviously Garrett and Michael, and and then Frankie. And Frankie. So I mean, yeah. need we say more? Yeah, yeah, and that's I mean, I think that that Queen was really um, when Frankie, you know, Queen Queen was Frankie's final regular residency before he passed, mm-hmm. and um, you know that was something, and I, I'm not even sure how. I was trying to think about it the other day, how exactly that came to be. If, if Frankie and Frederick came to us, um, or if Joe and I were talking about it in the office one day, mm-hmm. or, um, you know, I think honestly what had happened was that we started booking Frankie for like the Memorial day. That's what happened. The, the, like the holiday Queens We're like, okay, let's get him in there. And then it just got to be a no-brainer that he should just be, you know, a resident. You know? He loved, you know, I always, I, when I would talk to him, he, he said he loved Smart Bar because, you know, if he had to play in Chicago, you know, it was tougher in the South Side where he had certain expectations of the style of music he had to play. And that's why I remember him saying at Smart Bar, he felt very free to just be who he was. Exactly. Not have to play them old tunes. Yep. But I, I there was a couple of questions I wanted to ask you and... First of all, well, let me just give it to you all. Okay, let me give it to you. What were the perks? What were the perks that were offered to you as an artist? Like, did you get? Were you allowed a residency? Did you? Were you allowed to play a certain number of times? And uh, yeah, like because I'm sure they still wanted you to grow as a DJ. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I was encouraged to put myself on lineups. I was encouraged to book myself at least once a month. That's good. Um, you know, or yeah, like you know, once a month, once every other month, something like that. I mean, so that way you can explain to people, like anyone, like I don't know, over the course of Smart Bar, if people like, well, you know, does a talent buyer get to put themselves in lineups, or were they encouraged? Right. They, yeah, yeah. It was a little bit of both. Um, you know, okay. I had, um, I had. Uh, a little party that I did there every once in a while where I would play open to close. You what know? was it called again? The seven hour... Bombs na- Not Bombs. Bombs yeah. Not Bombs. What, what does that mean? Um, it was, I think it was like dance floor bombs, not like wartime bombs or something like oh, that. Oh, you know? okay. Like now I understand. The, the logo was like a, it was like a disco ball and then like not bombs or something. It was gotcha. Uh, I don't even know <laughs> And how you played I, yeah. seven hours. Yeah. It was, uh, it, was, it was always a Friday. So it was only six hours. I played 10 okay. to 4. And then we would always do like ticket giveaways for upcoming shows and things like that. It was always usually just like a big ticket giveaway night mm-hmm. to get people in the door. Because, I mean, I wasn't big enough of a DJ to like get 300 people in on a Friday night myself. Yes, instance, you were. You know. <laughs> but weird. Start. Stop. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, no. Um, so they really, they really encouraged us to be an artist. He encouraged me to, to book myself and to play and to you know, get in that booth and, and, you know, have fun with it and make sure that I could still be a DJ. Are you, well, did you notice one that your bookings, like more people wanted to book you once you had that job as talent buyer, like more people wanted Nate Maddox, like overseas or within Chicago? No. Really? Not really. You don't think? No. Um, That's interesting. I mean, I got, I got booked, uh, but I think that, you know, I didn't really try to go out and get gigs while I was working for Smart Bar. I never did booking trades. I wasn't like, hey, you book me, I'll book you. Are you allowed to do that? Okay. Are you allowed to do that with overseas club? Can can a, like a big club say, hey, book me for this club and I'll, you know, or is it all just... Sure. It's allowed? I okay. Mean, it's unspoken. I mean, you can. Um, I mean, people do it. 
I mean, am I like, am I dangerous territory here? Oh no, no. I mean, this is, I mean, I think that that's, I mean, the situation that you're, that you're explaining right now is valid for any club, you know, and any promoter and any, you know, um, you know, you look at what's happening in, um, for instance, the gay techno scene in America right now. A lot of that is because these promoters in different cities are banding together, pulling together, showcasing these artists. You know, you have hot mass Mm -hmm. In Pittsburgh, that's booking the Honey Sound System guys from San Francisco, and you have the Queen residents who are going over, you know, here and there, whatever, playing, you know, this place. I mean, you know, Michael um, and Garrett, you know, especially they, mm-hmm. you know, they've really been just going everywhere and playing and just, you know, I Paris, see you go, London, yeah, Berlin, the boging balls of Paris. Hell and- yeah, you know, and that's it's amazing, you know, that's that's such a great thing to see. Um, but as far as like booking trades and things like that, um, you know, I didn't really get booked anymore, um, from other clubs. Um, you know, like I didn't, you know, it's not like I just started playing at like, you know, wherever spy bar, or, you know, any, any of these other clubs regularly because I was, you know, Mr. Smart bar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was also a little more selective about my gigs. When you run that club, like you don't really want to play anywhere else. It's like, you, you know, you're like, I got a fucking Ferrari. Why do I need a Yugo or whatever? Well, plus you were running around picking up other DJs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, and and that was the thing too. You know, I mean, I really, I don't think people understand, you know, people think that, that, you know, when you're doing something like that, if you're like, you know, the smart bar talent buyer, if you're Judy at Fabric or, you know, if you're doing the stuff at Berghain or whatever, that it's this like glamorous job, you know, but it's, it's not. You know, like, I mean, it, it is like the, the notoriety and the respect and, 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 you know, all of that, if you're doing your job correctly, is is a lot, you know, and it's great. Um, but I was, you know, I think people people think that, like, when you run that club or when you're the talent buyer for Smart Bar, that that's your club. That's not true. The club owns you. Like you are for all intents and purposes, an indentured servant to that place for as long as you work there. Wow. Um, and, and I mean, it's paid, of course. I'm not saying that like, you know, <laughs> I, mean, was there I don't want to go that far, but like, you know, like you were, you were, you know, you <laughs> yeah. had to be dedicated to that, to that spot, you know, like you were, it was a, it was a round the clock job. And so you didn't really have time to be um, going over and doing all this other stuff. At least I didn't like, I was, you know, I was, you know, armpit deep in the trenches um, was there pressure um, to make sure there were numbers? Like, were there absolutely, you know, absolutely? You know, um, well, you know, that's the thing. It is, it is a business, um, and so you had to, um, you know, you are under pressure to make sure that the club is successful. You know, that is yeah. that is your job. You know, like if the club is not successful, it doesn't matter what the job is or what the club is. If if you know, you're not going to be there very long. <laughs> yeah. If, if you know, if it's if it's not successful. Um, and so, so yeah, there was, there was an immense amount of pressure, um, to really deliver, um, especially at first. Um, you know, I had a lot of work to do when I got that job at first. Um, I had to really establish and foster relationships with a lot of agencies, booking agencies. I really had to reach out and, you know, locally, uh, and, and build, relationships with, you know, people around Chicago. Um, you know, you have to work on, um, even, even the internal workings between Metro and Smart Bar to make Mm -hmm. sure that, 
you know, the building itself is um, working and operating cohesively, you know, instead of just downstairs, upstairs. Um, so there are a lot of different things that you had to do. You know, mm -hmm. there are a lot of different, um, you know, responsibilities that you had to take on. And, you know, you, yeah, you know, that pressure to deliver is, is um, you know, very big. You know, we had a lot, a lot of stuff to do. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can imagine. So you last, so it was four years, right? You did four yep, years, three years, 11 months. Three, <laughs> so things are great. You know, things are good. You got, you got tired. You know, that, that place, it, um, I think, you know, like I said, you really have to work a lot to, um, to make sure that you're in a good mental, emotional, physical space. Um, all of that. Um, you know, I obviously had a personal life, on top of that, you know, it's very difficult to kind of manage that and keep that going. You know, my personal life went to shit basically throughout that entire job. You know, I had um, a partner at the time, the night before my first New Year's Eve there, he sexually assaulted one of my best friends in his sleep. Oh my God. Um, it was a very fucked up thing. Um, he did the same thing again uh, three years later to the guy who was the love of my life. And instead of dealing with it, I used the club as a diversion, which is easy. You know, you can definitely do that. Um, but, you know, when you're working a 60-hour-a-week job and you are mentally and emotionally drained and you have trauma that you don't even realize is trauma, um, until much later down the line, um, you know, and when things like that happen, you don't, you know, you don't understand what's going on. So that was, that was something that was really messed up. You know, it, it, you know, I'll, I'll say honestly that I enjoyed probably about three months of my life while I worked at Smart Bar. Oh no. Wait, what do you mean three months of your life? I mean... Um, because I worked there for three months and that's when that first incident happened. And so, honestly, my entire tenure at Smart Bar was spent, like, somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Like, I was kind of mentally checked out. You know, I was doing my job. I was going through the motions. Um, but, you know, I had this going on. And you don't have a private life. You know, I didn't have a private life. I didn't have privacy. Um, and so I had to keep very tight-lipped about what was going on. Nobody knew what was happening. You know, um, I remember uh, one day towards the end of my tenure, we went out um, and got margaritas for lunch. And I had a couple margaritas and I was all happy, you know, and, and, you know, one of the staff members was like, Nate, you're in a good mood. I like two margarita, Nate. Usually you're stomping around the office and like, you know, this and that. And I kind of, I, I kind of took that as almost like a wake up call. I was like, wow, is that like what it's really like to, to work with me. Like, do people think that I'm this like unhappy person who's just pissed off all the time? And that's kind of how it got to be after a while. You know, I withdrew. I, I didn't want to go to the club anymore on the weekends. You know, I was spending as little time there as I could. I would get there, drop the, the artist off and just go hide up in the green room. And then eventually it all just kind of came crashing down when I had another relationship and uh, that I really wanted to hang on to this time. Mm. Uh, and because of these incidents that had happened, um, it just all kind of came falling down. Um, and so that's when I called Joe at like six in the morning. I remember it was a Lollapalooza weekend. 
um, and we had had this huge crazy thing and I had to DJ Friday and um, you know and and you know my love and I had um, at the time you know just had this big falling out and it looked like it was over and and I realized then that I couldn't maintain relationships with anyone anymore I couldn't I couldn't maintain my own mental and emotional health and so I called Joe at six in the morning sobbing my face off uh, telling him we have to find my replacement not knowing that Chris Baroner just three days before had given his notice as the Metro talent buyer and so we were both quitting within a week Oh my gosh. And, uh, and yeah. And at that point I was just like, whatever, I'm, I'm gone, you know, like love you guys. But, um, I'm sure that's so tragic. Yeah. (laughs) That's, I mean, when did you say the first incident happened? It was Um, the first New Year. It was, it was the night, it was the night before my very first New Year's Eve at Smart Bar. So all this was happening throughout your tenure. Yeah. Throughout my tenure. Okay. Um, which was also coincidentally the day after our one year wedding anniversary. Um, so. Oh, you were married. Yes. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, in a way, while you were going through all this, maybe as much as it hurt, maybe that made you work harder. Maybe that's why you were always at the club, you know, because you just wanted to forget. Yeah. I kind of feel like that was a big part of it. Um, you know, I was really kind of using it as a, as a distraction sometimes and it made me work really hard, but yeah, it was, it was tough, you know, and I remember talking with people, um, you know, one or two people about it, you know, and I don't think anybody knew what was going on at the time. Um, not until, not until the day I quit. Um, you never, I feel like a dummy. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're <laughs> a happy couple. I never would have known. Like that's what, and that's a testament to you as a person because, you know, a lot of people could be drama queens and be like, ah, oh, I'm having a bad day. You never showed it. That's why, yeah. I mean, I didn't work with you day to day, but I never saw like a snappy part of you. I never saw that. You yeah. still just kept it together all the time. Oh, I sobbed on airport runs. Like, mm. I would be, like, sobbing my face off, like, on the way to the airport, like, like, holding it together, like, wiping my face off before I pick up, like, whoever, you know, and then, like, turning around and being happy and on the, on the, on the surface and getting it all, you know, sorted and dropping them off and taking care of business and making sure everything's cool and then just, like, going back into my own little... Thing, you know, wow. my own little world. Um, and it was weird. I kind of almost felt like I was leading a double life, you know, um, because I tried to separate my professional life from my personal life so much because I wanted to protect my personal life and, and my privacy. Okay, so uh, I, I mean, like, if that had not happened, do you think you would have still been a talent buyer at Smart Bar? Or do you, at some point, you would have been like, I'm too tired. This is too much. I mean, it takes, you yeah. did way more work, I think. I'm serious, like, because, I mean, just the fact that you would be the one picking up the talent and dropping off, I mean, you don't really see that now. I mean, not really in any club. They usually have people doing that. Yep, totally. Yeah, you don't see that that much these days. And, I mean, that was a part of the job that I that I really enjoyed doing as well because, you know, you get to hang out with your idols. You get mm-hmm. to shoot the shit with these people that you respect immensely mm-hmm. and, you know, may hopefully someday want to work with, you know. Yeah. So establishing those connections and those, um, you know, those really wonderful, um, you know, just those things. It was, it was great, you know, and honestly, that was a part of the job that I really liked was, mm-hmm. you know, picking up art department or, you know, Questlove or, mm-hmm. you know, whoever, and just getting to know them, 
you know, um, and that was really, it was a really wonderful part. That was honestly one of my favorite parts of the job. What about in the morning when you had to drop them in the flight? That not so much. That was, that was not Here's so Here's the money for a taxi. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Taxi buyout. Hey. Um, yeah. And, and that, and that would happen to you know, but I think, you know, yeah. for me, my desire was to put a very personal spin on it and, and to really take care of artists, you know? So for me, that, that was, you know, the best and let me just say, but, and you did, and it, yeah. I'm sure you heard it from a lot of people, but from me as five magazine, I want to say thank you. Cause you really, <laughs> you really made a difference. And that's thank why I, like, I was so happy to do this. Like you really made a difference as a human being, as a talent buyer and people will always remember you fondly. That's why people are always like, Nate, you know, we, <laughs> we miss Nate. Every, I post a picture of you like, Oh my God, Nate. So yeah, you, you should really be proud of that and think about that because through all that pain you went through, you still, you know, you still like held it together and you did an amazing job and you, you put smart bar into this like level. I mean, it was always like, you know, like a major club in Chicago, but I think it really like took this, you know, queen, everything like that. And I mean, so tell me from that time that you went through all that darkness and from the time you, you told Joe you wanted to quit, what happened with you with like, what did Joe say? I just walked away. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I told him I'm quitting, um, you know, um, and that was it, you know, was he, it two weeks notice or just, um, out? yeah, it was, it was the beginning of August and I told him I would stay until the end of August. Um, mm -hmm. cause I didn't really have anything lined up work wise. <laughs> um, I called, I called my dear friend, Spencer Locken, uh, of Orchard Lounge and Style Matters, who was the, um, wedding DJ company that I'd helped him launch back in 2006. And I basically said, how soon can you get me back on weddings? And, and that was it. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, I just walked away and, and I've, I've, um, been very, I kind of feel I've been keeping to myself a lot for the last number of years, you know, relocating mm -hmm. to Oakland and, um, yeah. When did you move, uh, or Oakland, San Francisco, when did you move? Like, was it shortly after? I was about a year after actually. It was November of 2014 that I moved out West Okay. and I had been, um, kind of working on launching a sister company to style matters out there. So, um, you know, I'm just out there DJing weddings. I got a company called caliber DJs. Um, it's great. Um, it's I, interesting. Tell people it's DJs that play non-traditional wedding music, right? Isn't yeah, it? basically we're all okay. vinyl DJs and, you mm -hmm. know, club heads and stuff like that. And, um, we just really pride ourselves on, um, providing really sophisticated custom tailored soundtracks for events and just really like destroying the dance floor, just having the greatest, most amazing dance party you could ever have. So you're doing that. Are you, did you go back to making music, your label? Um, you know, that's actually a work in progress right now. I just mm -hmm. moved into a new house, uh, in Oakland with some really wonderful people. And, uh, one of them is a musician and DJ. So we made sure that we have a little room downstairs so I can put my studio back up and, mm -hmm. you know, um, I've been writing a lot again. I've been writing a lot of music and getting Good. back into like singing and stuff like that. For me, a lot of it had to do with just getting my, my soul straightened out, mm -hmm. um, and just getting, you know, getting my mind right. And, uh, and now I'm, I'm ready to do that again. You know, I've really, I mean, there were probably about, you know, especially after I moved out West, um, you know, I wasn't really DJing. I didn't want to DJ clubs. I didn't want to go to clubs. I'd say the first year I lived out West, I went into a club maybe five times. Um, and so I just took a really big break from it. Mm -hmm. um, and now I'm finally getting that love back, you know, to really just want to do it and to be a part of things to foster community to mm -hmm. you know really just you know get get that love back and, and get back into it
any crazy stories you can tell us about, you know, and what was the wildest thing or a couple, I mean, at Smart Bar, come on. <laughs> I mean, that's almost like what didn't happen. Um, yeah. You know? you know, there were, there were some, there were some really cool moments and obviously working with somebody like Joe Shanahan, who is, um, an icon in and of himself. Hi, Joe. He's a beautiful soul. He's Joe wonderful. Is he was, you know, awesome. he was, he is absolutely the best person I've ever worked with. Um, you know, he gave me so much guidance and direction mm -hmm. and, you know, kicked my ass when, you know, when it needed to be kicked, you know, <laughs> motivated me in the right ways. Um, you know, he was, he was really very much and, and re continues to be a father figure for a lot of people, um, that work there. And I think for a lot of people just in the scene that, that surround him. You what know? do you think, um, like an important lesson that you learned watching Joe work or just in hindsight now watching how a club has changed from before you were working there to after to like, what's something that you think you, you've gleaned from just the music industry or anything? What do you think? Don't sweat things too much. Mm -hmm. Don't let things freak you out. You know, shit's going to happen. Life is going to happen. You know, you can pick yourself back up, go and, you know, go in the back hallway, have a good cry and, you know, and move on, you know, mm -hmm. like, um, I think that really one of the biggest lessons I learned was that life is not going to slow down for you. You know, like it is going to throw shit at you left and right constantly. And, you know, you just got to be there to catch it and to, you know, to, to make things happen and, and yeah. just kind of roll with the punches. Um, you know, I think that Joe um, really was a great example of somebody who is just living a really wonderfully balanced life and worked so hard to get that venue and, and to build that community and to establish these wonderful relationships with all of these artists all over the place. He introduced Courtney and Court Cobain. Um, what? I'm sorry, Court, Court, Courtney. Courtney and Court Cobain? He introduced Kurt and Courtney. <laughs> Um, Did yeah. he really? Yeah. Um, rumor. Yeah. The story goes that um, she was um, she was in town. Um, Hole was playing a show, and there was some um, other artist who was trying to like get with her, and she called Joe, and she was like, "Joe, you got to help me out. You got to help me out." And he was like, "Oh, come to Metro. Come hang out. I'll put you on the guest list. There's this band playing there tonight, Nirvana. You'll probably like them." And, um, and yeah, he put, what? he put Courtney on the guest list and she showed up and that's where Courtney Love and Kurt Cobain met. At Metro. At Metro. Yep. Love stories happen. Yep. Love stories happen. And you know? also unhappen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. At Metro yeah. and Smart Bar. That's a great story. Yeah, yeah. That's what, that was one of my favorite ones. Um, oh, wow. And so, I mean, and how are you now when you go, like, how do you think... When you go back to Smart Bar, like tonight, you're going to Queen, yep. right? Like, what do you think? Like, how do you think it's different now from when you, you first started? Like, what are the differences? Aside from the, there being unisex bathrooms. Yeah, yes. That what is, else? That is big you know, um, you know, it's, it's funny because I haven't really been back there a lot. You know, um, I don't know if I can really adequately answer that question. Um, you know, I guess I can probably give you a good idea of, you know, the differences in the club from when I started and when I quit. Um, I think now actually, you know, the, the club has made some amazing strides. Um, you know, when I started there, we had this like janky little lighting controller on the side of the booth with 16 analog push button thingies. And you had to like, you know, like we, we didn't have, you know, there wasn't lighting, you know, um, uh, the function, 
system was there already. You know, we didn't do anything like, you know, to that, but um, the monitoring system was very different. We didn't have a lighting director. We didn't have, um, you know, a dedicated um, technician. Yeah, shout out to Steve Casica. Steve, oh, what's up, Steve? Steve, great job um, that you did. And yeah. Jose now. And, and, you know, and it was really, it's funny because, you know, the, the lighting director position is something that happened very gradually. Mm-hmm. You know, Steve came in to play and do lights for basically just our bigger shows. Mm-hmm. You know, we were like, okay, we want, we want a lighting person here. And at that point, he was bringing in his own lights and like rigging everything up and like doing the lights mm-hmm. and then taking them down wow. at the end of the night. And, and they so, made such a difference. Oh, yes, yeah. absolutely, you know. And so, um, so yeah, eventually he was just like, well, I, ha- I already have them up. I might as well just leave them up for you know, next weekend or whatever. And then I think it just got to be this gradual thing where we were like, you know what, we just need to have you here every weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really lovely. It was such a, it was such a great thing having him there, you know, um, you know, I think that the, the people that are there, like, you know, every night, you know, working to make an amazing space, um, really yeah. just, you know, make that place shine. And I think more than anyone at the time, he really did. Um, you know, he really just brought so much to the aesthetic of that place to be able to just, you know, just bring that other element into it to really f- fill it out, you know. So one question I want to ask, and it's kind of also something that I think about, like, you know how sometimes like, you're just tired of your job when you were still working for a smart bar, which is like this mega club and I was doing five magazine. I am doing five magazine. <laughs> I always think, wow, if I stop five magazine, would I just lose all my friends? Like, you know what I mean? Would people stop being nice to me and booking me? You know, because there are, you know, advantages to having a typo with your name in the industry, right? Whether you own a club, you run a club, you run a magazine, a blog. Did your life change? And I know you stopped DJing for a while to give your head a rest. Mm -hmm. Did did things change when you no longer had Smart Bar Talent Buyer behind your name? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, You know, but I don't know if that was necessarily... I mean, some of it was because I wanted it to change, you know, like, you know, if I didn't want things to change, I wouldn't have quit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, um, you know, I, they did change, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of ways you really find out who your true friends are. You know, I've always been the type of person that says, well, you know, I'd rather have, you know, four quarters than a hundred pennies. Um, oh, and, good one. You know, like it's, one. yeah, I can't remember where I heard that. I say that all the time now, you know, after I quit and the dust settled, you know, um, I still had a lot of really wonderful friends, you know, um, there are still so many artists and DJs and, um, people that I still talk to all the time. You know what it is? I think, and I I thought about this, when I think of you when you were working at Smart Bar, I think of you talent buyer, club owner, but now that you are no longer in that position, now it's like DJ and then probably you get booked more. I don't know. It was a weird headspace when I think about it now. Now I think of you more like, let's book Nate. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I think that this is, you know, when you stop working there or when you, you know, make any major life change like that, it gives you the opportunity to really refocus your life Mm -hmm. and to do the things that you want to do and to take the opportunities that maybe you didn't have earlier or things that you had to set aside and things like that. So, um, you know, for me, you know, losing um, a significant part of my social network and structure wasn't really big deal because mm-hmm. at that point I was like ready to tell everybody to piss off anyways. Yeah. And I basically did in no uncertain terms. You know, it's, it is so nice to have these people who are like, 
we miss you, you know, or, you know, people that really became friends through Smart Bar, people that, um, you know, have remained in my life and, um, you know, and also just the friends that weren't affiliated with Smart Bar that were there for me, you know, every day, the people that I like confided in and had to talk to when I needed somebody who wasn't in the industry or somebody who like could give me that objective ear. So when I quit, yeah, things definitely changed very drastically. Um, you know, um, I still went to the club here and there, but I, I tried to keep my distance as well. Because, um, you know, when the new guard comes in, you have to let them do their job. You know, you have to let them, um, you know, take it in their direction. And when I quit, you know, my, my words to my successor were, well, I'll set them up. You knock them down. You know, I, I was quite able to walk away from all of it and feel good about it, you know, because I... I you know, I do, I do think I did a goddamn good job there. You did a great <laughs> you know, job. I usually don't say that out loud, but I really, Can I'm I really proud so? of the job I did. You know, I am proud of it. Um, you should be. Um, and you know, I really hope that I have that opportunity again someday. You know, I mean, if, if there's anybody out there with like $13 million that wants to open a club in the Bay, um, you don't want to come back to, up. you don't want to come back to Chicago? No. <laughs> <laughs> he just shook his head. Do you have any advice to DJs right now that, that really want to make it? you know, that want to, uh, that want to get into a mega club and can't right now because they don't have that social media presence. They don't have that music. What can they do? Like constructively, it's something different aside from believing in their dreams. Yep. Put in the work, show up. You what know? does that mean? If you are a producer, learn how to produce, learn every bit of logic or Ableton, create your own sound, spend hours in the studio, make those tracks, collaborate with people, collaborate with other producers. Um, include other people, build a community. Um, you know, if you, you know, if you want to get booked at a club, show that club that you can bring people out, you know, um, people that are willing to pay the cover, <laughs> you know, instead of just submitting a 70 person guest list. Um, you know, Oops. Oh no, 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 that's, that's literally, that is exactly, I'm saying that because that is literally exactly what I did the very first gig I ever got at Smart Bar. Really? Brad Owen booked me to, I think I was, I think I opened for Ian Pooley. I was like, oh my God, it was amazing. And I gave him like a 60 person guest list. And I was like, is this okay? He was like, I don't know, maybe they all won't show up. It'll be fine. Um, but, um, but yeah, you know, for those, for those people who are really trying to you know, make it go, you know, when, when I was looking for people to book, mm -hmm. you know, the things that I was looking for were, are you working every day on your craft? Are you f working to further your career? Are you working to put out music and, and identify yourself as an artist and, and being different? Yeah. Not that you know, samey kind of, yeah, totally. You know, um, yeah. you know, but I think, you know, you know, put, put records out, you know, if you want to put records out, put records out. Don't just sit there and say you're, you want to put records out and then, you know, not do it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there, are, there are people out there right now, um, you know, that, that deserve every bit of their success. Um, you know, people I can think of off the top of my head that have, you know, really just put in years of work and, and, and are knowledgeable and they deserve it. You know, I don't think having a social media presence is going to get you any more respect in the game. Putting out good records is going to get you booked. Yeah. Um, being an amazing DJ is going to get you booked. Community is very important. Um, showing that you're interested in providing something for people instead of exploiting them. That you're interested in contributing to a scene instead of taking from it. 
And I think that that's really um, the most important thing that gets noticed by people is that you're really making an effort to be a part of something larger to contribute to the community, to contribute to the scene, but also be very unique and have your own individual flair and style and, you know, all that other stuff. So, but yeah, I can't say that I really have any regrets, you know, I can't. Anything you would have changed or done differently now that you know, or? You know, actually, yeah, I would have put more emphasis on um, the local drum and bass crews on Thursdays instead of dubstep. Oh, okay. Um, and not that not that I didn't think that the dubstep stuff shouldn't have been there because, um, you know, I think that a part of a very successful club is a diverse weekly lineup. You know, you can't do the same thing five days in a row. I think that's it, though. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can't know everything. And you did a great job with supporting the local talent that was there. You know, we're going to be eternally grateful for that opportunity. <laughs> you know, it's harder nowadays. So thank you. Thank you. We love you, Nate. I love you, Serena. Thank you so much for having me. This Thank you so much. He's still in his robe. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have some drinks and then gonna head out to Queen. Yes, get it in. And uh, if you want to get in contact with Nate, we'll put all the stuff in the show notes, right? Yep, we will. All, all right. Links. Thanks, thanks, Nate. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>